Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, as we do every time we come together, we ask you to be here with us, and we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a scene that I wasn't allowed to watch until I was a teenager. I actually sort of have a tortured history with Indiana Jones. I remember going with my family to see the Temple of Doom in the theater. When it came out, I was six years old, only to have my parents make the executive decision to pull us all out of the theater when Mola Ram tore a man's still-beating heart out of his chest. Um, Raiders, of course, was acceptable, good, clean, family fun, except for this one scene. My parents would make me put my hands over my eyes, and so it was only sort of between my fingers that I saw what happened. Most of you will know the scene that I'm talking about. The Nazis have recovered the Ark of the Covenant, the sort of chest in which the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments are sitting, and they've got Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood tied up and thinking that it will enable them to sort of conquer the world, they prepare to open the ark. And Indiana Jones, preeminent theologian that he is, knows that no one is righteous enough, no one is good enough, no one is holy enough to gaze upon the glory of the law of the Lord and live. Now, Indiana Jones is probably thinking here of Exodus 33.20, where the Lord explicitly says, no one can look upon me and live. And so Indiana Jones knows that he has to shut his eyes, and he tells Mary in the same thing, no matter what happens, keep your eyes closed. And the Nazis, of course, open the ark, and they're all destroyed. And as I didn't really find out until high school, actually got their faces melted by some 80s-tastic special effects. <laughs> but this is what happens when an unrighteous people comes into contact with a righteous God. Melted faces. This is what happens when sinners come into contact with the holiness of Almighty God. Destruction. Even the heroic Indiana Jones has to protect himself, has to close his eyes. If he has to do that, what chance do you and I have? Even Indiana Jones couldn't look. So is this what we have to do? When we think about approaching God, do we have to do so in paralyzing fear with our eyes squeezed shut? Well, no. And in our readings this morning, we're given a better way. In his second letter to the Corinthians, which we read from, uh, St. Paul talks about Moses, and he refers to the Old Covenant, which is another way of saying the law, and he 
refers to this interesting tidbit about Moses having to wear a veil over his face. He says, Since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. And before we get down to the business of talking about this veil and explaining it, it's important to note that Paul is actually alluding to the other reading that we read from Exodus 34, where Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, having been given the Ten Commandments from God, and as he comes down, he doesn't know that the face, that the skin of his face is shining because he's been talking to God. And it says, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses and saw that his skin was shining, they were afraid to come near him. And so Moses had to put a veil over his face. And it says, whenever he went into the tent where the commandments were being stored, he took the veil off so he could sort of be with them one-on-one. But whenever he came out again, he had to put the veil back on so that the people could even stand to look at him. And this falls nicely in line with Raiders of the Lost Ark, doesn't it? When the Nazi archaeologist begins to open the ark, an amazing golden glow shines all around him. The law is glorious. It's beautiful. It shines. Now this may be an idea that takes you a little bit by surprise since we spend so much time at this church seemingly giving the law the thumbs down, right? We talk about grace and the gospel as being so far superior to the law. We talk about the law in terms of judgment and critique, and we all agree that legalism is a really dirty word. And in light of all that, it's really easy to catch yourself thinking that the law is bad. But nothing could be further from the truth. When Moses comes down from the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments, he is literally shining with the reflected glory of having been in the presence of God. He has to wear a veil to protect the people from this reflected glory. And from then on, when he would go into the tent where the Ten Commandments were, he'd sort of get his shine refreshed. And when he'd come back out, he'd have to put on the veil back to be with his people. You see... The law is glorious because it is a reflection of God. The law is what God is like. God is one of a kind, the creator of the world. So, of course, the law is to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course, the law is not to have any other gods but him. And God is love. So, of course, the law is to love your neighbor as yourself, to honor your father and your mother, to not covet or lie or murder. This is what the law is because this is who God is. The law isn't bad. The law is good. It's glorious. And so, of course, when the Nazis open the ark, the glory of God shines all around. For a moment. Because, of course, the goodness of the law is part of the problem, too, isn't it? 
the law is too good. Sinners can't survive it. The Israelites can't even look at Moses when he's been near the law, much less look at the law itself. It hurts their eyes. Indiana Jones can't look at the opened ark of the covenant. He knows it will destroy him. The prophet Isaiah has a similar feeling. He has a vision of himself in the throne room of Almighty God, and the first thing he says is, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He thinks he's going to die. And when Peter first realizes that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God, he begs Jesus to leave. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. These four guys, the lawbringer Moses, the prophet Isaiah, the disciple Peter, and the archaeologist Indiana Jones, all understood something about the holiness of God. It meant that they were in trouble. They all understood a simple truth. The law destroys us, not because we're good and it's bad. The law destroys us because it's good and we're bad. The law isn't the problem. We are, you and me. So we need something to get in the way. We need something to come between us, us sinners, and the law. For the, for the Israelites, it was this veil. For Indiana Jones, it was a tightly closed set of eyelids. For us, it is a savior. St. Paul says this amazing thing in our reading from 2 Corinthians. He says that we can act with great boldness towards God. And that we can regard the holiness of God with unveiled faces. We can be bold towards Almighty God. We can regard the holiness of God without something protecting us. But how is that possible? Aren't we still sinners? You know yourself and I know myself. How can it be that we, who can barely hold our families together, if in fact our families are still together at all, how can we, who try and fail again and again to be the people we ought to be, the husbands, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, and friends we ought to be, how is it that you and me can look upon God without the fear that Isaiah had, without the fear that Peter had, without the fear that Indiana Jones had? How can we, the unworthy, come before a holy God and not be destroyed? Listen to a part of what we'll pray during communion in just a few moments as we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken and shed for us. Here's what we'll pray. We give thanks to you, O God, for the goodness and love which you have made known to us in creation, in the calling of Israel to be your people, in your word spoken through the prophets, 
And above all, in the Word made flesh, Jesus, your Son. For in these last days you sent him to be incarnate from the Virgin Mary to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world. And here's the kicker. In him you have delivered us from evil and made us worthy to stand before you. And made us worthy to stand before you. On the Mount of the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and Jesus all stood together, seemingly equals, the law, the gospel, and the prophets. But only Christ remained at the end, his glory totally outshining everybody else, and the voice of God says, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. So listen to the good news. It is on account of Christ, his goodness, not yours, his worthiness, not yours, his faithfulness, not yours, that we are able to stand up before a holy God and look upon him, not with fear, but with freedom. This is what Jesus has accomplished for us. In him, God has brought us out of error into truth, out of sin, into righteousness, out of death, into life. As we read the law, as we hear the rules, as we think about what it takes to get in good with a holy God, we construct a veil to protect ourselves. The law is too good, and we know it. The standard is too high. It shines too brightly. We can't even look at it. It's power is too destructive. We need something to shield us from it. Too often the veils we construct are about doing better, trying harder, accomplishing more. But those methods all end with our faces melted away as our loved ones watch between their fingers. It is in Christ alone that the veil can be ripped away He bore the brunt of the law's destructive power. He hung there on the cross, a righteous man carrying the sins of the world. When we baptize, it is into this death that we are baptized. His goodness given to us, and he has made us worthy to stand before God. It is into this new life that we are raised. We need fear no more. By Christ, we are saved. In Christ, we are free. Amen.